0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: And welcome back to the Believe in NC State Podcast. I am your host, David Thompson. Thanks again for listening. This is the podcast all about NC State football. And like always, there's plenty to talk about. Today's show, I have two guests for the price of one. First, you'll hear my conversation with UCLA beat writer Mike Regalado. And we break down the December 28th Holiday Bowl in San Diego in a game that we've now all been waiting for for almost a month as NC State goes for its 10th win for only the second time in program history. And after that, we'll have a chat with our very own USA Today Network recruiting reporter, Chapel Fowler, as we'll break down the early signing period and look at the 12 players that NC State signed last week. And before we get all into that, let's pay some bills. The Believe in NC State podcast is brought to you by Online. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, basically any sport where you can bet money in, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, it's where the game starts. The Believe in NC State podcast is also brought to you by Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can relate stones in a blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, Price so they won't have to. They really do make an outfit sparkle. They really do make an outfit sparkle. Let me, let me do that slightly better. I'm so sorry, Lightbox. I'm not great at ad reads. Visit lightboxdrewery.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxdrewery.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. I like on these ads that they write dot com instead of dot com uh, because I'm 80 years old and I wouldn't know how to do that. But anyway, I digress. Thanks again. This is the Believe in NC State podcast. I'm your host, David Thompson. Let's get into our conversation with UCLA beat writer Mike Regalado. All right, I'm here with Mike Regalado from the uh, Bruin Report. He's beat writer for UCLA athletics, all athletics,
0: I'm guessing? Mostly football and men's and women's basketball. Okay. But occasionally I'll be asked to cover, uh, you know, gymnastics or softball or baseball. So, sure,
1: sure, fair (laughs) enough. That's cool. So I, I think kind of the hot topic coming into this game is, you know, the fear of will we have a game? Um, and I know there's been, you know, some issues with UCLA basketball. Um, but I guess what's the sense that you're getting, you know, if, if there's fear around the program, we just got off the, you know, we just did some Zoom calls with the NC State players and they talked about, you know, they've been wearing masks even more. Everyone's being really careful. They're having more conversations about it. What are you, what are you hearing on on your side?
0: Well, both the men's and women's basketball teams have had to cancel um, uh, games that happened last week or games that are supposed to be upcoming. Uh, so three each, which will basically end their non conference anyway. That's another basketball conversation. But the fact that uh, they did that because of uh, COVID protocols. Um, within both programs. And the thing with the basketball teams is that they uh, share the same facility. Uh, football is next to it, but, you know, albeit separate. Um, but still, they're taking extra precautions as well, especially with uh, a lot of these cases popping up last week, especially you heard throughout the NFL, NHL, NBA. <laughs> <Everywhere>, <laughs> if, if baseball yeah. was going on, they'd probably be doing it too. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of covid madness again but uh, hopefully uh you know it stays on track to have this this uh, holiday bowl because uh you know we, we did talk to the players and they said that they're not necessarily taking extra precaution uh as far as uh you know bubbling up if you will but they are being aware of where they're going what they're doing who they're interacting with and stuff like that so you know it definitely is uh serious but you know, they especially, especially the, uh, the upper classmen want to get to this bowl game. They've been wanting to go to a bowl game for quite a while, um, especially after, you know, three losing seasons uh, unexpected in the Chip Kelly uh, tenure. So they, they really want this to happen. And uh, it, it sounds as if they're doing what they can to limit uh, this, the spread of COVID. But, you know, we'll see. Anything can happen. One, one person gets infected. You start in the weight room and then boom, it's everywhere. So we'll see. We'll see. We're a week out.
1: Is there, I guess, um, disappointment in the uh, chip chip Kelly tenure here so far at UCLA. I know there's excitement now that um, you know, they've made this bowl games, the first one, I think, since the 2017 cactus bowl, uh, but yes. the first one, since he's been the head coach um, you know, how much has he done to really flip that narrative or is it, or is he, He's still kind of, or fans still sort of undecided on him.
0: Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's divisive. Um, <laughs> there are Chip Kelly supporters and there are people who wanted Chip Kelly fired yesterday, last week, right. last year. Um, and it, it it has been disappointing considering what he did at Oregon, going to a national championship, having the blur. And then he comes to UCLA and says, yeah, I'm going to do something completely different and hmm. has, three wins in the first season four wins in the second season three out of seven wins so he percentage-wise he got closer last year uh and then he actually you know he does finally have a winning season eight and four so far with a with a, a bowl berth but that's still not good enough for uh a lot of fans you know uh some of them are expecting you, you know, the saying it's here for, he, he shouldn't just be getting eight wins. And it's like, yeah, understandably, you know, that's fine. But you got to look at the progression where he's come from, what he's done to turn this team into what it is now. Like offensively, I think this is probably one of the best offensive teams in the nation defensively, not so much. So hmm. <laughs> there's that. That's, that's the other uh, big problem too, is, you know, the issues with the defense they've been sub 100 on national rankings and statistics, um, collectively over the last four years. And even though the defense got better this year, and I, I saw a lot of improvement, especially in the last three games of the season, uh, it's still not a good resume uh, to, to put out there to say that, you know, this is the defense that we want. For me, I've been saying that <clears throat> with with UCLA's innovative offense they need something uh, compatible to that. They need something complementary. They need uh, to play a little bit faster, a little bit more aggressive than that. And they have done that. It's just not, it doesn't seem like a good fit right now.
1: Mm. So, I mean, what's the the big issues with the defense?
0: Player development, roster management, um, playing players out of place. uh, You know, you, you, earlier in the season. And actually this is something that, uh, we've seen in previous seasons where (laughs) quarterbacks will play like 10 yards off of their receivers. And it's like, what are you doing? You're giving them like way too much of a cushion. And then sure enough, they run up, boom, three yard here and there, they juke a little bit, get a few more yards off to contact. And it's like, who didn't see that? You know, Hmm. we saw this from, you know, from home, you know, (laughs) from the press box, How, how are the coaches not seeing this, but, uh, they have been, uh, a lot more aggressive their their pass rush has been a lot more fierce they don't just have one guy they don't have one solid pass rusher one guy that can go out and just make the tackles behind the line of scrimmage they have several guys uh distributing the job amongst you know several players linebackers defensive linemen so it's very aggressive up front the pass defense has been you know an issue as well uh just one-on-one coverage is not great, um, especially if you go against uh, very talented, uh, you know, receivers. It's just it's putting UCLA's uh, secondary, you know, in a bind, especially if you don't double up or put an extra guy out there. So it's just it's it, it's situational, but it just hasn't been enough to show that this could be an elite UCLA team. And honestly, I believe that if UCLA had a much better defense. They would be elite. They would probably be 10 and 2 right now, if anything. Um, but you know, what ifs? You know, they don't count. This is where we're at. The uh UCLA uh has a good offense, uh led by Chip Kelly and Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um it's just defense needs to get a little bit better.
1: So what what makes uh Dorian Thompson Robinson such a, a special player? I know he's uh a dual threat guy in NC state has, has dealt with a few of those this season, but you know, what, what kind of makes him a, a, an, an upper echelon kind
0: of player, you know, for me, it's the fact that he's a fighter you know, he got a lot of flack in the first three years. Oh, he's not a good, he's not a division one quarterback. You know, he, he only played quarterback one year of high school, you know, put in the, the secondary guy who hasn't played any, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second string uh, quarterback who hasn't played any. It's like, okay, all of you guys who aren't at practice, not seeing these players, you know, you're just, and I get it. It's, they're, they're upset that there are not more wins and there are more losses and that there are mistakes, but DTR has grown every single year and this has been a, you know, really good year for him. And it, and it comes right as he's trying to make his decision to possibly go pro. Um, he's just is very he, athletic.
1: Has he made a decision yet?
0: No, he's, uh, and, and this is interesting about a lot of the upperclassmen. They're not only one uh, Otito Bonia, uh, the defensive lineman. He's the only one that has said that he's preparing for the NFL, which he hasn't flat out said, I'm not playing in the holiday bowl, but it's, you know, it's written on the wall. It's know? implied um,
1: there, there's like, a similar situation with the Akeem Ikuanu for NC state who's, yeah hasn't yeah, said yeah. it, but you're like, you're a potential top 10 guy. Are you really going to play in this game?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and there are, but that, but the thing is there are, are a lot of upperclassmen who can do that, <clears throat> who have the ability to jump to the NFL if needed and prepare for it. But having only Otito be the only one say, yeah, I'm going to step, step back from this one, that's, that's awesome for the upperclassmen. And I think it's mostly because, like I said, this is their first uh, bowl game under Chip Kelly. They want to play in this bowl. They want to prove something. They want to get to that ninth win. So it's, um, it, it's good that uh, they're, they're, the majority of them seem to be waiting on their decision, including uh, DTR. But, uh, you know, going back to him really quickly, he's just, his decision-making has been a lot better. Two years ago, he was not very good in securing the ball <laughs> After, uh, interceptions fumbles last year. He improved it this year. Um, I don't know how many, four, uh, how many fumbles lost he had, but he only had six interceptions, uh, much better compared to what he's done in, in, in the past. Um, but he's a- been able to sling the ball around and use his legs. Obviously you got that. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's that iconic hurdle over the USC defender, mm-hmm, you know, into mm-hmm. the touchdown and, it, and looking at that live, it was like, Oh my God, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that, that is such a marquee play for a marquee game. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, he can surprise you, you know, and, and he's down to earth too. You know, he has a little bit of swagger, but he's, he's, he doesn't shove it in people's faces. You know, he'll celebrate with his, uh, his team and himself but he's not going to, you know, rub it in people's faces. You know, he's always a class act.
1: I think there was a lot of upset NC state fans just because of the travel and the cost that it, you know, and I, I, I had to buy a plane ticket to get to San Diego and, you know, East coast, West coast is not cheap, particularly around this time of year. Um, you know, how do you feel like this fan base is, is going to make the trip, not the NC state fan base, the UCLA fan base. are they going to be able to make this feel like a home game?
0: That's a toss up too. (laughs) One, because of one, because of uh, uh, the COVID situation, people are like, should I, shouldn't I? Right. Uh, I've also, people say that, wow, tickets are expensive for this. You know, it's kind of ridiculous, but others are like, I don't care. This is the first bowl game. I want to go, I want to go out of town. I want to see this team play one more time. I want to see, you know, root for all the upperclassmen. Uh, So I'm hoping, you know, but even still, I, I love games, neutral side games, uh, bowl games where it is half and half. Mm -hmm. So that, that'd be pretty impressive to see uh, the North Carolina state fans, you know, blue on one side, red on the other Uh, that, that I think, you know, makes for a great atmosphere. Um, so I'm hoping UCLA could travel. I mean, it's only two hours. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> excuse me. I understand, you know, what you're saying, you know, right. flying across the country, but this is a two hour road trip, <clears throat> excuse me, this, uh, you know, UCLA traditionally doesn't travel well, but there's reason to celebrate if you will. And I think a lot of fans are looking, uh, at that as a reason to get down to San Diego
1: well so two questions and I uh, there's no reason why I can't ask this separately but I got caught on my own mind thoughts here but one have you ever watched a game at Petco Park is it weird watching a football game at a baseball stadium and and then also what would this what would this mean when ultimately mean for the program um just kind of going forward
0: I have not uh I walked by Petco Park last at Co Park last, uh, uh, summer when I was uh, visiting San Diego. Uh, the cool thing about it is that it's right next to the, uh, gaslight district, mm. gas lamp mm-hmm. district. Sorry. I always get that next up <laughs> gas lamp district, which is a strip of bars, restaurants, shops, kind of like a promenade sort of situation. Uh, so definitely, you know, win or lose afterwards, you know, people should be, you know, partying, uh, you know, having a good time, but no, it's, it, it is a beautiful stadium. Uh, and it is kind of weird sitting right there in that area. Um, but I've never seen, uh, a game there, nor have I ever seen a football game inside a baseball stadium. They had the, it it changed so many names, but uh, up in San Francisco, the Bay area, uh, they had the almond bowl. I think it was. And that was a horrible situation because not only do you, you have a football field on a baseball stadium, but because of the, the uh, limited room, both teams had to be on one sideline. Hmm. <laughs> it was like, what? So That's at the 50-yard line, you're like, this team, this team. So it's like, if your team's at the end zone over there, you can't be – it was just a horrible mess. But uh, this one, you know, I am looking forward to. Uh, although, let me tell you, North Carolina uh, listeners and viewers and fans, uh, check the weather san diego at this time is no it's great sunny california but it's deceiving you walk in the sun you're like oh this is nice you get in the shadow and it's all all of a sudden 20 degrees below zero it's crazy Hmm. Uh, and especially with a 5 p.m kickoff this is going to go uh uh, up until like 8 Mm p.m definitely bring a sweater extra jacket you know whatever you do to to, uh, stay warm but uh, yeah this it's not going to be hot down there in sunny san diego but uh as far as a win for the program. I think this will be huge one. It'll give UCLA. Finally, that win over a uh, ranked opponent over a a team with a winning record. It'll get them to nine wins the first time in the uh, chip Kelly uh, era. And it'll, you know, so they won three games out of seven. That's just under 50%. This, you know, nine out of uh, uh, 13, nine wins out of 13 games that says something. And that will obviously help the team out in recruiting It'll help momentum going forward to next year. And, you know, it's just a good sign. You know, a lot of people say that this is just an exhibition game, which it might be, uh, but at the same time, they're, both teams are going to be participating for a reason. Like you said, there are some players um, that, that, uh, on NC State that are, you know, they're looking forward to this, just like UCLA. You, you have one guy that's opted out. UCLA has had one guy that's opted out. So it depends. This isn't uh, a game where it's like four or five guys are like, yeah, I'm going to get ready for the, for the NFL draft or, you mm-hmm. know, whatnot or transfer. Um, this is a game that these two teams seem to be taking seriously mm-hmm. and why not? You know, after what the like, the COVID season, some sort of normalcy, but let's hope COVID just, you know, backs away for this game, let it happen and let the, let the, um, the student athletes, you know, especially the upperclassmen, you know, have one final hurrah if it, if that is the case for them.
1: So how do you see this game ultimately playing out?
0: This, I think is going to be a really fun game. Uh, it's going to be a shootout. Um, looking at, uh, I, I and I haven't, uh, dived deep into NC state, uh, just a little bit over the last week that obviously is not enough to uh, analyze them over the course of the season, but also, you know, I'm a big stats guy um, and just seeing what they do and how they distribute the ball in the pass, uh, That's going to be interesting. And it, they, if, if they can get in between the seams and, you know, get the reads on uh, UCLA's defense, I have a feeling that NC state is going to put up a ton of yards. So that's going to be UCLA's responsibility on defense to limit, because I don't think they're going to be able to stop, Uh, the, the, the passing attack of uh, North Carolina state. Um, Same thing for UCLA's offense. Like I said, I think they're a dynamic offense. One of the best in the, in the the nation and they can do it on the ground uh, and through the air. They, you know, obviously DTR is a dual threat quarterback. He can run all over the field, but then you have uh, a guy like Zach Charbonnet, who's had seven, 100 yard rushing games this season. Uh, You have Britton Brown, who's averaging, what was it? I think something like 17 yards per carry. Uh, So the running game is super effective and especially the way that the offensive line operates. I would not put it past chip Kelly to do something completely new formations. We've never seen, because that's what he does. You know, like even sometimes in the press box, we'll be like, what kind of formation is that? What is he doing down there? You know, it's like, and and it shocks us. So we, so definitely, if, if it's new to, to us who, who are covering it, it's definitely new to the opponent. Um, so expect the unexpected with uh, Chip Kelly's formations and his uh, offensive attacks. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a shootout. You know, no, no disrespect to NC State's defense uh, or UCLA's defense, but I just think both offenses are going to have you know, a bit of a field day. So I think this comes out to uh, you know, last man standing, last mm-hmm. team standing
1: um give me a prediction I'm gonna put you on the spot a, a oh, I
0: haven't even thought of it <laughs> you know let's um god that's tough I'm gonna to say UCLA 41 North Carolina State 40 just because that's initial that's I think it's gonna be close I think it's gonna be a high scoring uh so yeah that's where I'm at initially okay. initially that might change that might change okay <laughs>
1: All right. Fair enough. Well, well, Mike, thank you so much for your time and, and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, you'll be at the game I'm guessing. So I'll get to say yes. hello to you. Cool. Well, yes. Yes, indeed. So can't wait for that. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. This is my conversation with Chapel Fowler. Hope you guys enjoy just to let you know, we had this conversation before the actual early signing period, but nothing really changed from, the next day. So all of this still very much applies. I hope that you enjoy. All right. I am here with the very, our very own Chapel Fowler, the North Carolina statewide recruiting reporter for the USA Today Network.
2: Chapel, how are you doing, man? Good. Feels, uh, feels good to say our. I feel really uh, at home and familiar right now. So yeah, it's, you know, it's nice when you can actually pull within our own
1: network of, of our guys and be like, hey, I want to talk to someone. You don't have to go through all the hoops. I can just be like, I can text you and say, hey, you have to do this and there's nothing you can do about it. So
2: ha. you, you, you probably need to go through my PR person next time just to be safe. Um, but yeah, we'll let it slide this time.
1: Okay. All right. Who is your PR person? You, <laughs> you with like a, with like a British accent. Sure. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> So I wanted to bring you on today to talk about uh, the NC State upcoming recruiting class, kind of the things you're hearing, the guys you know you're impressed with, and and even a little look into the future. Um, so first off, when is National Signing Day? When should we expect for a lot of these guys to to ink their names?
2: Yeah. Um, so the early signing period, which has become a pretty frequent time for most everybody in classes to sign, um, that's going to be. Next Wednesday through next Friday. So that's the 15th through the 17th of December. Um, that's the first time a kid can sign a binding national letter of intent. Um, anybody who's enrolling early coming to their school in January, which is a more frequent thing now than it used to be, anybody doing that is going to sign in December regardless. Um, kids could also sign in December and not enroll early. Um, really up to them. And then um, February, sorry, March through April, that whole month. Um, March 1st through April 1st um, is the quote unquote regular signing period. Um, So there will be a few kids probably um, at most schools that sign in that period too, but early signing period is going to be the majority of your uh, enrollees at NC state at UNC anywhere, really um, with the way college football is now.
1: And I I find the, the early signing day really took a lot of like the drama out of I guess what it used to be like February 4th you got five or six hats on the table that kind of thing which don't get me wrong I like the drama but um, it feels like obviously it changed the way that coaches had to recruit and a lot more during the season the high school football season than than outside of it is that something that you've seen that it changes recruiting tactics or is it just a, a different date
2: yeah. I'll give the addendum. You're right. It's February through April, February 2nd through April 1st. Got my day mixed up. I'm in basketball mode. Um, but fine. yeah, it definitely has. Um, <laughs> if you've seen the video of like, my favorite one is like Jabril Peppers doing like the slam poetry. Like <laughs> I can see it all now before he commits to Michigan. Like that's all in February and stuff. But no, it's really, it's definitely different. Um, like you said, it kind of has taken off the pressure, um, not made it as epic, but at the same time, you know, kids getting in early enrolling, you know, that's often, you know, a really easier way to get on the field as opposed to enrolling over the summer, you know, early enrollees, they just have the sheer time and the reps um, to actually contribute earlier. And that, you know, that's played out at a few schools um, this fall. Um, so there's some benefits to it as well. Uh, but yeah, early signing period is definitely the, the move now. Um, and especially with like transfer portal and such, um, you know, you might as well, you know, lock yourself in uh, before, you know, your school sees a three-year starter from a, you know, a big 10 school in the portal and thinks, you know, it might be better to have that guy than a high school senior. So you're kind of, you know, ensuring that you're going to be where you want to be and not taking any risks by doing that early time.
1: So what I, what I've seen is that at least for this upcoming class, NC State has 12 guys as of right now that are kind of like, I guess you would call hard commits or that there's yeah. not a lot of anxiety about them, you know, highlight a few of those guys that, that you think, you know, could make an impact in their first couple of years, you know, who's got you kind of, you
2: know, excited. Yeah, you're, you're correct. Uh, 12 verbal commits right now. Um, and you know, the, the two, four stars obviously jump out there, both in-state guys, both, uh, good ones to pull over other power five schools. Um, Michael Allen, the running back from JH Rose, he's um, actually playing for a state championship tomorrow, and I'll be there and have some coverage from that. Uh, mm-hmm. So keep y'all's eyes out. Um, he is like a five nine, you know, dual threat running back. He he caught like you know I don't know eight passes for two hundred yards in a game last year. He's he's had some of his best rushing totals in the playoffs. Um, kind of like a do it all diamond dynamo, um, little Austin Eckler ish, um, in a way. Uh, he is. You know, he's one of the fastest guys in the state. I'm forgetting the exact number, but he had like a laser time, to like might've been like a four, four, six or something like that at a combine last year. Um, also a really good baseball player who won a state championship with their baseball team uh, in May and coming off an injury uh, that he had uh, late in last season, I think or early in this season. So he's healthy off that and really hitting his stride. Um, and then Torn Wright, who I know you've written a little bit about um, in your social media you know recruiting story uh the the edge rusher from AO Brown in Canapolis uh just good to get guys like that in your program i mean like <laughs> you can't really go wrong when you're recruiting a four star guy who's i don't know what he is you know 6 200 in athletic as can be um and i believe they got him over like West Virginia and Duke so that was a good power five battle to win out on um and then obviously a lot of three star guys uh pretty interesting uh the Isaiah Cruel kid from East Forsyth uh as you know, that's been a program that's served them well in the past, um, and they're perennially a, you know, a contender in the, in the 4A classification. So that's another guy who I could see uh, having an impact down the line. Um, and then just some interesting like, situations where it seems like we were talking about earlier, like they found their guy and they like him. Um, you know, they have a, their first commit in the class with an offensive lineman from Kerry, Ryland Van, his older brother, Davin is on the team. Um, you know, he's kind of an undersized center interior offensive lineman, but he's also like a state championship wrestler in the heavyweight division. Um, you know, I, I watched one of his wrestling matches for a story and <laughs> he moves pretty well for, uh, a guy that's supposed to be on the offensive line. So I guess kind of the thinking there is like, if you can, you know, if you can dance around a little wrestling mat and you know, beat five guys in the span of three hours, you know, to win a gold medal, uh, you're probably going to be okay, you know, pulling out on mm-hmm. uh, tosses and stuff like that. Um, and then they have a kid playing running back at Southern Nash, Jackson Bick, who's verbally committed as a defensive back, actually. Um, so just some, you know, some creative ways to find spots for guys and hopefully utilize them um, with those kind of unique talents on the side. I wonder, I'm, I'm looking, you know, the,
1: the quarterback commit from Georgia, MJ Morris, who's kind of this dual threat guy. Um, which is not something that NC state really has had in their quarterbacks or really have right now uh, with, with their three guys. And now with Devin Leary coming back uh, this for this year, and maybe even in two years, do you think maybe, you know, MJ Morris looks at that and says, you know, have you heard anything that, that maybe he's thinking other otherwise about, about not signing with NC state or anything like that? I mean, he seemed like a firm commit, uh, but I wonder if you're that, if you're him and you look at the guys ahead of you and you, you say, well, when am I going to end up playing on this team?
2: Yeah. Uh, heard, heard nothing of that, uh, sort personally, but I mean, I think just realistically, that's kind of the state of college football. So we'd we'll be surprised if you know, next fall, whenever it's, um, you know, him, uh, if, you know, if him, Ben Finley and McLaughlin are all still there competing for that starting quarterback job. I mean, it happened at UNC a few years ago. They had three kids competing for the job. Sam, Howe won the job. And one of the two guys that didn't win the job, Cade Fortin immediately decided to transfer. And that's like, you know, it's really natural, really fine. It happens all the time in college football nowadays. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that situation plays out. And that's, like I said, that's not exclusive to NC state. Um, that's really the way you kind of have to think about things. And especially with the, you know, the one-time transfer without having to sit out, um, and especially at a position like quarterback where, you know, if you're not the starter, you're, you're chilling on the bench for, <laughs> for 60 minutes every Saturday. Um, right. It's not like wide receiver where you can get out in that five wide set or contribute on special teams. Um, so, yeah, down the line, one of those dominoes is probably going to fall. Um, yeah, because, I mean, Larry coming back, what does he have, three years of eligibility remaining? on top of what he's already done or something crazy like that at least two i believe yeah he's he's a fifth year red shirt sophomore so
1: he'll be a red shirt junior next year so at least two and yeah it's hard to know i mean these guys are like now going to be 30 when they leave college if they want to uh but yeah he's got at least two more years of eligibility maybe three i'm not 100% sure but plenty of time if he wants to be there i mean i don't think anyone was super surprised that he was coming back but he did yeah you know, statistically, have uh you know a, a pretty impressive year, and uh, you know nfl's always looking for quarterbacks. So, and he is like that pro style quarterback. So there was a, a a potential that he could leave, opening the door for someone like Ben Finley or M- Aaron McLaughlin,
2: who's that four star quarterback. I, th- I think is he out of Georgia as well? Yeah, he was. And um, yeah, uh, Morris was a four star in the ranking. You know, obviously those are fluid, and they right you know, they go up and they go down and they ebb and flow up until the end of that regular signing period. Um but Morris was a four-star at one point. Um, he's probably right on the threshold of that right now, but yeah, I mean, consecutive, you know, four-star or super high three-star quarterback, that's a thats a credit to their recruiting. I know I know, Tim Beck, the offensive coordinator, has been a big part um, of the Morris commitment and the McLaughlin commitment the year before, both guys out of Georgia. Um, so, you know, always good to get, you know, someone of that caliber, that position in the pipeline. Do you have kind of a
1: basic understanding of how these stars are doled out? Like who is the wizard behind the curtain throwing out stars to people ah, you're a four-star no you're a five-star i mean i i realize there's a lot of intangibles when there's the speed size and things like that especially on the you know the offensive defensive line like you know you could be a great skilled defensive lineman, but if you're ten, 180 pounds you know you're not you're not going to be considered a d1 guy but how i mean like how does a guy like mj morris be a four-star and then drop
2: to a three-star how how does that work no that's a great question i mean the one the one metric that i really use a lot in my reporting um, is 24 7 sports is composite score because you know mm-hmm. that, that's lumping in rankings from espn from rivals and from the top 247 rankings um so that's three probably different rankings and how the people at those places are all evaluating um but kind of roughly and i think there, there's a good explanation this somewhere on the 247 site you know every year that they, they probably peg anywhere from like 35 to 50 guys as five stars. Um, you know, that is like your elite of the elite, the guys who could, you know, screw around and still, you know, win a game off their athleticism. And, you know, there's a few guys in the country that fit that build every single year. Um, and then four star wise, you know, you're probably looking at, I don't know, 300, 400 guys in that range, maybe a few more hundred. Um, and that's kind of a level below, you know, still high D1 caliber guys. Um, and three-star is really such like an all-encompassing rating. Cause you know, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, how many three-star guys has NC state, you know, sent to the NFL at this point, you kind of lose track because they've they've done such a good job developing um, three-star is really such a wide range. You know, you, you could really be a guy who barely, you know, has earned that ranking or you could be a guy who like we just talked about with MJ Morris, you know, injuries can sometimes play a factor in evaluation just of. You know, if people are out on the sidelines scouting, you know, to tweak rankings, you know, if you're not playing and, you know, a guy two spots behind you is playing and playing well, you know, it's just lists shift all the time. Um, So it can happen that way. Uh, But yeah, it's definitely um, an interesting system. Um, But I think the 247 composite is like a good baseline to at least get like a general consensus. Cause I mean, those, those are opinions coming from, you know, informed scouts and, former coaches and people that are smart and, you know, understand it a lot better than I do. Um, so I definitely do take some stock in that, but um, you know, you're like a Wake Forest did, you know, they won their Atlantic division with a lot of three stars. So there's also a, you know, there's the whole coach argument of like, yeah, stars don't matter. Um, I think I probably fall somewhere in the middle.
1: Right. I, I think there, there are times where, you know, you just see a player and you're like, that's what a five-star guy looks like. And, you know, he's, he's already got those, potential NFL, you know, the NFL body, the, you know, the, the mind for the game, that kind of thing. So, but then there's other times, I mean, you look at, uh, Akeem Ikuanu, who was a three star, uh, lineman and is now going to be a top five, top 10 draft pick. Um, and I would say, you know, NC state does a really good job of, of developing, uh, these players. Um, I am curious though, you know, the conversation is always NC state, UNC, you know, that, that competition. Is there, and it feels like at least when it comes to four-star, five-stars, UNC is the clear winner in state. Is there, you know, UNC finishes? they have six, six, six and six record, they lose to NC State. It feels like all the momentum is with the Wolfpack. Does that translate to recruiting? Have you seen that? Or is this just kind of, this was just a one-year, Mac Brown is still the star in the living room kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, for this class specifically, it hasn't changed things, you know. <laughs> right. you you see them, you see them get their butt kicked by whatever ACC opponent and you you wonder, but you know, then, you know, a week later they're landing, you know, a four-star wide receiver. Um, So, you know, I think kind of the selling point and you'll see this on Twitter from like UNC fans and I'm sure it's like an internal selling point too. just the idea that like, um, you know, that this is his third recruiting class. It's his best recruiting class in terms of, you know, two, four, seven rankings. And just the idea that like, you know, quote unquote, like I have all my guys now, um, you know, that this is a team you know fully stocked up by me with a lot of good players. Um not to say that he didn't have excellent players from Fedora. I mean Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Deomi Brown, Daz Newsom, those are all insanely, you know, excellent recruiting pulls by Fedora's staff that helped Mac Brown out a ton. Um, but yeah, in this class it really hasn't changed much. You know, UNC's kept up that momentum. Um got a lot of guys over the summer, you know, during all the um preseason stuff um but even through the fall they've kept it up and um you know a few of their guys have taken to twitter through the fall with you know some form of you know there's no flipping me like stop trying on you know i'm locked in um i saw travis shaw tweet that a few days ago um so it appears that they've kind of rebuffed any advances uh on those fronts um but i mean the thing is like you know unc does it one way and t-state does it one way and um You know, they've both been successful. NC State a lot more successful Mm -hmm. this year uh, with the guys on their roster. Um, Because, you know, how many of those are three star guys? How many of those are former quarterbacks playing another position? Um, You know, what is it? The tight end, uh, Toodle, that was a quarterback Mm -hmm. and has been really effective for them. Uh, Penix, a lot of guys out of position that they've developed and put in new positions and, you know, are doing just as well. And obviously, uh, you know, there was some Twitter discourse uh, after the UNC NC State game because, you know, a former three star receivers, you know, I don't know. I think caught a touchdown over a former four star safety or something. And just kind of like a apples to apples. That's probably not like the best comparison, but right. Like, you know, just and, an you know, example I, I don't actually think
1: that he did for the touchdown, but there was, uh, he did at some point. Cause I remember mm-hmm. seeing that. And I was like, well, I, you know, and that's where you get the star ranking. You're like, just because you're a four star, doesn't mean you're just like a, a better person than a, or, you know, and a yeah. mecca has been, you know, he's, He's been at in college for five years now. He's a little different than his high school ranking. And I don't know. I mean, it's those star things that I think are just totally overblown or um or it's it's a good metric, but it's just like it's used to diagnose too much, I think. But yeah, um, you can't like line people up one-on-one and you know use that as the right. Well, how could he how could he make that catch? He's a three-star against a Mm -hmm. four-star. That makes no sense. You're like, well, you know, whatever. Um yeah, I, I think all that stuff's Pretty interesting. Do you do you get a sense talking to recruits? Because as the statewide re- recruiting guy, you're you're not only doing NC State, UNC, you know, you're doing everybody. And you talk to a lot of these recruits. Do you get a sense what it's like to have Dave Dorn, Mac Brown come into your living room and what that pitch is like? Or, you know, I, I you know, I I'm a big Texas fan growing up as a kid, and, and we would hear stories of, you know, Mac Brown walks in and, and he's just the most charming guy in the room. And, you know, now he's got his national championship ring and, you know, he can talk about Vince young and all these guys. And, um, does he just have kind of like a distinct advantage or over Dave Dorn or, you know, what, what, how are their approaches different, at least in the sense that you've gotten. I'd sure I'd sure
2: love to be a fly on the wall for both. I'm of telling you minutes, huh? <laughs> I'm telling, Did you watch any of the, uh, the Beatles doc? Uh, I've seen commercials, but I haven't seen it in full yet,
1: no. So if you are a Beatles fan, it, it is that, so you're like, huh, I wonder what it'd be like to be in the recording studio when they make an album. And you're like, oh, here's eight hours of that. And it was incredible. And I, you know, I want that of like, I want to be with Dave Dorn for 24 hours and just see what that looks like and see what the real, and it, and it does seem to be working. And, and you know, we all worked on uh, separate projects about recruiting. And I talked a lot about Dave Dorn and the way that he sort of slowly has built his uh, the, his method. Um, and it really is about not overselling things and being realistic. And, and that has really worked as far as with these three-star guys. of like, listen, I know who you are. and I know who you can be. Come here, we'll make it work. Um, but it also feels like Mac Brown is just kind of like, hey guys, five-star UNC building a brand. Like there is, I feel like he comes in
2: more, more with an exciting approach, but I, I really don't, don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it really, it's, it's method more than anything else. Um, UNC can definitely, you know, it's fresh enough to where they can still sell a little bit of hope. Um, Doran, like you said, he, he's so, you know, deep into the tinger now that he knows what works. Um, and I'm sure Mac Brown knows what works too. I mean, he's been a strong recruiter for a long time. Um, but I mean, I think it just comes down to the brands, you know, NC state, publicly and privately, I'm sure sells itself as kind of that gritty hard nosed. I mean, you remember the Peyton Wilson, uh, commitment and decommitment and recommitment to NC right. state craziness. And you know, the, the quotes about NC state, you know, being like a real football school, et cetera, and not showing up on a helicopter. Section. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Stuff like that. And that, that's probably one of the more prominent recent head to head recruiting battles. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the, the athletic did that really good piece, you know, anonymous coaches on, you know, how UNC right. recruits, how NC state recruits. And I think kind of the general gist I remember from that was like, there wasn't a bunch of counter recruiting in there. And I think both those coaches, they've said that. And most would agree. Like, you know, if you're spending, you know, the precious three hours that you have with this five-star guy, like talking junk about a rival school instead of selling your own program, like that's probably not a good route to go. Um, you know, yeah, you want to lunch focus yourself. Right. Uh, you want to focus on yourself, want to focus on what you can bring. Um, and there is a, there's a 2023 battle. They're both really hot on a uh, Noah Rogers. Who's a wide receiver at Rollsville high school in Northern mm. Wake County. Um, and he is, and he's actually, you know, he had 15 power five scholarships halfway through his sophomore year in the spring, because he was just like too good, not um, to offer. Um, and that's going to be one I'm excited to see you know, how that plays out. UNC's offered, NC State's offered. Uh, over the summer, UNC signed his older brother as a preferred walk-on, which is obviously a little, <laughs> maybe a little strategic on their part. little parties, game and ship, a little sure, sure. And then NC State obviously lands Lex Thomas, the 2023 quarterback from nearby heritage. And, you know, those guys are big buddies like they've been playing since like QE football. Um, right. So both those teams have already kind of set themselves up, um, I think, to be, you know, long time contenders and probably a few at the end that he's really going to consider. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out, but no, I, I don't have like a, there's no guy in the 2020 who that 2022 class. That was like a specific, like it's UNC and it's state and it's nobody else. Um, right. so I don't have like an amazing story of like, here's what it was like to have both those sides pulling at you. Uh, but maybe Noah Rogers will give me some of that later on. So, right.
1: <laughs> well, it is interesting to think that they don't seem to compete and maybe I'm wrong to say this, but it doesn't seem like they compete for recruits as much as you would expect. It's sort of like they've picked their separate lanes and that's where they go. And I, am sure there's plenty of jostling that we don't see, but I don't know. You know, uh, we don't, unlike Peyton Wilson, there's only a few examples that we can think of. And it's not like, Oh, well, here we go again. The 10 guys who are going to choose between NC
2: state and UNC. Is that, is that kind of correct? Or am I just making things up? Yeah, I think so, you know, um UNC had offered Michael Allen who ended up at NC State. Um, but you know, I think this is kind of example of what you're saying, you know, at the same time that they had offered Michael Allen at NC State, they had also offered Omarion Hampton another four star recruit um at Cleveland. Um, and you know, they were also heavily pursuing a four star running back out of Virginia, George mm. Betaway. Um, and you know, things kind of just played all that way over the summer. You know, UNC made progress. Um with those two guys that I'm sure were higher on their board and, you know, national ranking wise, two, four, seven composite wise, like we're ranked a little bit higher than Michael Allen. Um, he committed to NC state in June, you know, Mario Hampton committed to UNC in July. And then uh, George Petaway committed to UNC and I want to say like September or October or something. Um, so everybody got their guy, but I think that was kind of an example of how, you know, this is who UNC has their sights set on. Um, this is UNC state as their sights set on, you know, who knows how all three of those guys will play. Um, NC state's had plenty of uh, in-state running backs that have kind of killed it. As you know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. their current backfield is a prime example, you know, Naheem Himes, you can go back to him. Um, but yeah, I think that was kind of an example of, you know, them setting their sights on guys who maybe, be on UNC part, setting sights on guys who have that higher ranking um, and being able to get them where NC state is, you know, in-state four-star running back, how are you going to pass up on that?
1: Right. It's, it's interesting too, because I, I feel like NC state is about to be next year's UNC, you know, it'll help if they beat UCLA, but even if they don't, you know, they get the majority of their guys back, a potential top 15, top 10 team. I imagine, um, you know, they'll be right there neck and neck with Clemson, you know, for the, uh, Atlantic Division and I guess we shouldn't discount Wake Forest because that that's what we did last this past year and look at them now but um it feels like they're going to show up with a lot of expectations even more so like this past year they're like we want to win an ACC title saying all the right things but I don't think there was a lot of belief that that would happen and I feel like next year it's going to be like okay this could really happen this will be the year and I I I wonder if uh, if they'll have a, you know, a UNC type season where it's like, oh, this is, they're going to be the guy, you know, this is going to be the team. And then, you know, UNC loses their first game against Virginia tech and it was just this roller coaster ride. So I I do see as much as I know Wolfpack fans hate to, you know, have anything to do with UNC. I feel like there are a lot of similarities uh, with these two teams going into next season. And I I think UNC is going to reload too. And I, I I mean, imagine that as the, uh, the ACC championship
2: game. How crazy would that be? We should happen this year, but you right know, that became a total, you know, absolute no after week one. So right, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah. is there is
1: there anything else we
2: you know that that uh, Wolfpack fans
1: need to know about the the recruits? You know, little gyms that you've got, and and I know you've you've got a couple
2: little basketball tidbits as well. Sure, yeah. Um, I'll share one story um, that I thought was a really good example of you know how exactly Dave Dorn and his staff do a good job, you know, recruiting kids. Um, so this is Jackson Vick at Southern Nash High School. This is Bailey, North Carolina, Nash County. It's about 45 minutes from Raleigh. Really rural. Uh, Southern Nash, home of Julius Peppers, uh, famously, uh, who was you know doing backflips all the way up and down the field, you know, <laughs> at 6'5, 260 and being the best athlete in the state, you know, casually. Um, but basically, um, the, the way that their longtime offensive coordinator, Brian Batchelor, who's now the head coach, he succeeded um, Brian Foster, retired just a few years ago. The way he put it about what he likes about the way NC state recruits um, their kids is just the idea that like they don't discriminate. Um, and what he means by that is like Southern Nash runs an old school uh, wing T esque formation, you know, four or five guys at line of scrimmage, you know, 85% run. Um, and for some schools, like, you know, that can kind of turn them off or maybe they see that and they think like, okay, that's not going to translate to our power five spread scheme. So we're just going to, you know, back off on that. Um, and he was talking about how NC State, you know, with Bam Knight, uh, he was at Southern Nashville few years before Jackson Vick was. Um, you know, NC State was all in on him, and he he was talking about how other schools, you know, Power Five schools, big schools, were kind of like, and eh, like I don't know, is he fast enough? Like, is, is this really going to work for us? Like, he's playing in a strange scheme. Um, you know, now Bam Knight's you know the best kick returner in state history and mm-hmm. could be headed to the NFL. Has uh, a great career regardless. Um, so he mentioned it in that context, and then with Jackson, you know, that's a running back that NC State is recruited to play defensive back instead. You know, he, he, at the time we had talked to him, I was probably, I don't know, They were maybe five games into the season and Bachelor's like, yeah, he's maybe played four snaps at cornerback all season so far. <laughs> we Basically, like we, we just don't need him there now. We need him at running back. But he was like, once again, that's the point. You know, they brought him onto campus. They, you know, tested him. He went through the drills. He went through a camp and they liked what they saw and they thought he was a positional fit at something he wasn't playing now and they offered him and you know they locked up that commitment um and now he's going there next uh next fall and, and he's a tech from athlete really nice kid um so it'll be interesting to kill up with that and you know they also over the summer signed a third kid from southern who was a defensive back darius edmondson who was at louis at juco um so there's a whole nother level to you know the idea that they don't discriminate you know not only is it a guy who played at a small school and ran in a wing tee, but you know, he also spent two years at a Juco and you know, they're, they're happy to go after somebody like that too, if they think he fits. Um, yeah. So I thought that was like a pretty spot on example of kind of that brand that they sell um, hmm. and how that kind of plays out with a kid. Well, awesome, man. Well,
1: well, thank you so much for your time. As always, I'll see you around the, uh, the old Zoom meetings and, and whatnot, but uh, keep up the great work. And uh, before, before we go, do you want to throw out Twitter handles or things you're working on people, so that people know what to look for in the future?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm blessed with a semi-unique name. So my Twitter name is just first last at Chapel Fowler. Uh, must be nice. You'll get some, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm no, I'm no Dave T89 out here. I'm, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm special. No, I'm kidding. But you'll get, a, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of highlight videos out there, you know, I'll be at, like I said, I'll be at the state championships this weekend. So I'll get some Michael Allen highlights if NC state fans are looking for that. Um, a few other things. And you also get some, uh, Nikola Jokic and Sopranos and, uh, succession musings. So if any of that's, uh, in Dunkin' Donuts. So if, if any of that's your vibe, um, I'm there. And then my my stuff is on wherever you read David's stuff. You know, that's where mine is too. Um, it's on all the North Carolina websites and the USA today network. Um, so that's where you can find me. So
1: the, the real question, the big question that I have to ask you is Kendall Roy dead. Oh man. Have you read the ringer piece kind of reading the tea leaves after the episode? No, but I listened to the and for anyone who doesn't know, we are talking about Succession, which is on HBO. It's an incredible show. If you haven't watched it, you know, carve out 30 hours so you can catch up. But um, I have not. I saw I listened to the podcast where he kind of laid out, you know, the idea. And, and the more he talked about why he would be dead sort of made sense because of that last conversation that he had with his dad. And there really was like no place for him to go. And I believe we had a conversation where I said, you watch out. Kendall Roy is going to die at some point. Yes, you uh, not say that. I can't say I plan, you know, I, I, obviously I cannot think it out as well as these guys because <laughs> the show is just incredibly nuanced and complex and interesting and hilarious. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, it's pretty 50-50. I, I wouldn't be surprised either way, but it would be a pretty Shakespearean death, you know, alone in a pool
2: by himself Absolutely. it's it's ah uh, i can't wait till sunday i can't wait see yeah i'm finale. going i'm, I'm going to get a rewatching of this uh, most recent episode and i think uh i mean probably a little bit confirmation bias but i think they're if you watch it back again with the prior knowledge of how the episode ends um you know you feel even strongly you know mm. even stronger that he is dead um and yeah the, the ringer piece outlines some interesting stuff like some some interesting quotes you know from earlier in the season obviously every actor knows exactly what happens but they're legally to the 1 millionth degree bound to never say anything that's right. going to reveal anything. Um, right. but I mean, Jeremy Strong's a really interesting, weird introspective, you know, quoting random Russian poems, dude. Um, and he had some kind of prescient quotes throughout, um, kind of this interview circuit he's done as the season goes on. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, i I think it's about 50, 50 as well. Um, the thing is, um, if anybody can pull it off, you know, that, that, writing and directing staff at succession is one of the few that can. Um, mm. So yeah, like you said, I, I can't wait for Sunday to see, uh, see what happens. Well, at some point you got to think too, that
1: just with the arc of this show, there's one more season maybe. And, and this is kind of this, you know, this death would kick off what would be in a really incredible last season. Um, but anyway, We'll, we'll save this for the succession pod that we'll do after this, uh, but I wanted to ask you about that because I, I thought about you when, we were watching, when I was watching it. I was like, ha, I told you. Uh, but anyway, Chapel Fowler, thank you so much for, for coming onto the pod and, and we'll have you on again, uh, I think uh, right after the uh, early signing day so we can really get a, a better sense of, of this recruiting class with NC State.
2: Absolutely. Happy, uh, happy to be here. right. Take care, man.